Today, I welcome Paul Turnbull, President at Mid-Pacific Institute in Hawaii. In this episode, I discuss deeper learning models, immersive technology and project-based learning, blending science with the arts, plus future skills support in the workforce development and talent management. I want to talk about Mid-Pacific Institute and, you know, particularly you're considered to be a leader in deeper <laughs> learning. I'm really fascinated to find out a bit more about it. And what is the concept of deeper learning? Well, the idea of deeper learning is that we, so compared to the traditional education that many of us know, and many of the listeners who are sort of with us in the future will understand, there are classrooms and teachers at the front, there are rows of desks, and there's a lot of talking from the front. And, you know, the measure of a student learning is based on essentially, you know, filling up a cup of water, more full that cup, the smarter the individual is. Deeper learning takes that and flips it on its head a little bit. It really bases itself on the ideas of mastery, creativity, and identity. So the mastery piece would be familiar to most people in the traditional sense. We want to absorb as much knowledge and information as humanly possible across disparate disciplines. The creativity piece, though, really is integrated to the point where now you're looking at how you can actively solve problems, real-world problems, rather than just theoretical problems, and how you can do that in a way that acknowledges other people. So now you have to be collaborative. You have to be able to use great communication. And we even teach students that essentially 68 or 70% of human interaction is nonverbal. So how we communicate with each other in groups is crucial. And then there's the critical thinking that comes along with that. Creativity in itself is not the traditional form of thinking of, you know, going to an artist's studio or just taking a, a paintbrush and a, and a canvas together. Creativity is looking at individuals around you, looking at the issue in front of you, trying to figure out what may or may not have worked before. So you're analyzing data and then doing that in a way, I had mentioned identity, doing that in a way that really allows you to be present in that work. So it's not about falling into line and just doing what you're told. It's about having a voice, having agency, and again, working alongside your colleagues, your peers, and adults to try to figure out how you really combine all of those things together. And how long has that been a concept of learning that you've had at the Mid-Pacific Institute? You know, honestly, the components of deeper learning. So if you think about inquiry-based learning and project-based learning as two examples, design thinking, we've been doing this probably about 14 or 15 years. The phrase deeper learning has really only caught a little bit of traction, uh, certainly in the United States. I would say probably over the last three years, it goes back about five, but it's really ramped up in the last three years. And there's a number of schools who are doing that. They believe in the depth. And interestingly, when you kind of talk about creativity, mastery, critical thinking, those are three words that the World Economic Forum uses when they're looking at the future of jobs and what employers are looking for. So it's almost like you're ahead of the time because you kind of recognize that you need to educate for a world that our kids are going to go into, but also you need to be fit for purpose and relevant for now. So they are capable of having these skills. I mean, why is it important that we converge students' creativity, mastery, and identity in education? Just look at the world today. It's a really good example of a VUCA world, right? V-U-C-A, volatile, uncertain, complex, highly complex, and ambiguous. 
all of these things are churning out right now. And, and when you take a look at, let's take a real world example, just a few weeks ago. So today is the 15th of December. A few weeks ago, OpenAI released its chat GPT upgrade, its latest version. And depending on who you're talking to, people are either over the moon excited or this is the beginning of the end times. The idea that artificial intelligence is out there, if you're talking about a deeper learning perspective, deeper learning looks at AI and you know potentially the, the way that all of the things that AI will impact like job loss and various other things means that we're looking at AI as a tool. We're not looking at AI as something that will determine our futures for us. And if that's true, then our job in education is to look at how we use these tools, whether they are very, very new, like GPT, or whether they are older, like uh, go back to the graphing calculator from 1985, 1986. These are tools and we have to adjust the way in which we teach students because creativity, mastery, and identity mean that the world will always be moving at a faster pace and ahead of the education industry. So in that case, we have to arm our students to be what I refer to as world ready. And being world ready means that you really are, you're looking at the things that are happening to you in real time. You are allowed to be creative in the way that you approach problem solving. Academic standards exist for mastery, that units and assessments still exist in courses, but the creative examples are teachers standing beside students to co-construct what that curriculum might look like and standing beside students to say, you know what, let's try something. Let's try a project that will incorporate multiple disciplines here, and perhaps we'll come up with a solution to an issue that seems to persist, right? And so if you go back to that VUCA world, those things are the constant. How do we draw a line, a clear thread through the fog, so to speak, is our question. And we do that with deeper learning. And that's what we need. We need that in the world. We need our kids to be critical thinkers to actually look and solve local but possible real world problems because they have such cross-discipline in terms of the skills that they use. And then you kind of bring in technology. And I think a lot of schools fail with technologies because they believe it as a driver, not an enabler. And to me, it's, a, it's always a lever. It's something like you mentioned, it's something, bring it as a tool. And AI, whether it's augmented reality, virtual reality, you know, whatever we're choosing to use, a great teacher will bring that into an environment to help with, you talk about deeper learning and anything we do. Interesting about open AI, I've been playing on it. I sit on the fence of, I think it's amazing. I don't think it's scary. With all AI, there's always the dystopian view of singularity and whether that will ever happen where you'll never notice the true difference. I think the way the language processing is incredible, how quick it is to do it, it's a tool, right? Actually, how can it help me get to a faster point with some ideas? It can help me, right? And actually, that can help a team with solving better problems because we're cutting out a lot of the, the research work that you have to go off and manually go and find or try and bring relevance to. And obviously, at the Mid-Pacific Institute, uh, you have the Immersive Technology Program. And it's the only program of its kind, I believe, in the United States. It was the subject of a Microsoft white paper. What does this program involve? The Immersive Technology Program in Mid-Pacific really encompasses a lot of what we just talked about you know, in the last couple of minutes. The idea is that from elementary school through high school, that students should be exposed to a variety of different technologies. And as I said earlier, 
real life, especially in the technological realm, will be far ahead of schools at any given time. And so our role, I believe that our role is to try to shorten the delta between what students see and feel and experience in a school and what happens in real life. And so to do that, we created the Immersive Tech Program. And it starts with a question. Our essential driving question for the program in our tech vision is how can technology enhance the human experience, not drive it, right? So if we're going to enhance the human experience, then all of a sudden, all technology becomes a tool. So that means that our three pillars become computational thinking. So open AI is a good example there, engineering and digital storytelling. We've seen with TikTok's a good example, came out of nowhere in the pandemic and all of a sudden our attention spans are less than eight seconds because clearly if we can't see it and have that story told really quickly, then you know we have a problem. So the idea then again, elementary through high school is that we're gonna expose students to robotics and drones all the way up to, you know, at the sort of the top level, students are competing in competitions. We've got a lot of trophies in our tech center, competitive drone clubs, and now we've got also computer science and AI to the point where I love this place because I was able to walk into our tech center, talk to our technologists. We have a team of teachers on the tech side, but we also have educational technology coaches. So they work with students and teachers. And I was able to explain to them about GPT and how to just come out. And immediately they put their heads together. And within probably four days, we had real world experts standing in front of our kids talking about it, using real examples of how you can use prompts to come up with different solutions or different ideas for something. You know, an entrepreneurship class that can sit down and, and think, okay, how can this again be a tool to solve another problem? And beside that, you have a group of 3D animation classes and game design classes, all for VR and AR creation. At the pinnacle is our LiDAR. We have a, a 3D scanning LiDAR function that works both in digital historic preservation and in museum studies. All of these things together mean that we expose students to crazy cool tech and toys, really great facilitators and instructors. And then we find a way to work with our community partners. So we have nonprofits that we work with. We have seven museums around uh, the city of Honolulu that we work with on a variety of different cases. And then on top of that, because we believe in integration and again, deeper learning, you take all of those things. And when you think about a school and its various departments, the departments work together collaboratively. And that means that the students ultimately can get certificates in technology, for example, and they become, it's like a mini major in high school, and they can really immerse themselves to really bring other people together using all of this equipment and uh, just our methods. I wish I had a school like this when I was growing up. And actually, I wish we had more schools like this. I just think it's so needed if we talk about the future skills that are needed and also what you're trying to do within a school. You've got to give those kids the tools, the tools that are accessible now. You know, education has always fallen behind like a Luddite because we've been stuck to a conveyor belt and maybe a restricted curriculum and maybe matriculation that guides what expectations of success are in academic circles. But we're not solving very much. We come out having learned some stuff that we quickly forget and it's not been useful when I go out and do something. And you're using it to solve problems. It's a tool. You're not going, hey, 
we're just using this AI stuff. We're doing drone stuff just because it's cool tech. You're actually, you're getting them to think about how they can constructively use that to make a difference. Is it difficult to find time in that curriculum to get all this stuff done? Do you have more flexibility to craft your own curriculum to fit all this in? Uh, yes and no. I mean, ultimately, again, you know, the question about a graphing calculator or about open AI and, you know, various forms of technology, the easiest way to put it into a curriculum is to look at various electives. And that's what we do. You know, so ultimately our technology center is, is the hub and there are multiple courses within the tech center. So multimedia and design, engineering, prototyping, entrepreneurship, all the way through the LIDAR scanning. The most important thing that we do is have those tech coaches that I had mentioned. So those ed tech facilitators push the various forms of technology we have out into our traditional core classes. So in physics, for example, you'll have a couple of kits of VR headsets, right? So we take them on the road, so to speak, and we'll go into physics and we've got physics teachers who will work with their particular students. And the VR experience is about an accident that occurs because of drunk driving. So the students have to figure out in real time, you know, how fast is this accident happening? How fast were my reactions based on a, a certain scenario? You know, how fast are the cars going? What are the angles? All the physics of life. And they're able to do that in a uniform, standardized way because the VR experience doesn't ever change. And the physics then pulls out of that, out of the virtual experience, into the real world experience. And now kids have the ability to integrate. The way we do these things is actually more important than the fact that we have these things. It's just the creative aspect of bringing teachers along, training them and, and letting them know how these things can work in their units, working beside them the way that they work beside their students, and then making sure that what we do has real world application. How do you deal with, I mean, you talked about digital storytelling, and that's a big part of my kind of reason for being a purpose that I have within the business that I run. How do you deliver digital storytelling and maybe do you measure it as part of your curriculum and your output? The other side is with technology, there's always a human impact side. You mentioned TikTok, the addiction, the short form content, but we're driven because they're triggering the human dopamine and the behaviors that are innate in us that we almost can't stop ourselves give me some more chocolate, give me some more chocolate until I'm sick. How do you balance that mental health side, I suppose, or the addiction side with real kind of use? That's a really good question. And again, if our starting point is, first of all, the driving question, how can technology enhance the human experience rather than drive it? So right there, your question gets to the root of that essential question in our tech vision. The second piece is that from an early age, it's a tool. We keep explaining to kids that all of these things are tools and they are to be used for good or bad, right? You can use a hammer for violence. You can use a hammer to build a home for somebody who is unhoused. So digital citizenship was the old phrase. And what we talk about now is just citizenship. If we realize that students in schools today are native to the technological realm out there and what, you know, whether or not the metaverse becomes what I think some folks think it will be, then Citizenship is just that. So the first thing is how we behave. Again, we go back to deeper learning, creativity, identity being two of those things. If you master the technology, that's one. Creativity in terms of digital storytelling. How do we tell the story? But more importantly, what is the story worth telling? And then identity, right? How to be a good citizen. 
And then as an example of some of the things that we do with our 3D scanning, for example, we've scanned dozens and dozens of artifacts for museums around town. One of the really most poignant things that we've done that I think is it's really special is that here clearly in Hawaii on December 7th, the anniversary of Pearl Harbor, the attack on Pearl Harbor by Japan is something that is recognized every single year. But what most people don't know is that there's a story. It's about the blackened canteen. So if you think about an old aluminum water canteen back in the 40s, there were two American planes uh, on a bombing raid over a part of Japan. They collided in midair. They crashed. So one of the farmers was a medic in World War I, ran over, pulled an airman, the only surviving airman out of this fuselages. On that airman's belt was this canteen, this water canteen, and it had been blackened from the fire. But more importantly, the handprint of the airman had been essentially melted into the canteen itself because it was so hot. The airman didn't survive. And fast forward you know, to today, that canteen is actually a symbol of reconciliation between Japan and the United States. To the point where on December 6th, the morning before the December 7th anniversary, at dawn, there is a ceremony of dignitaries from the United States, from Japan, at the USS Arizona that is currently underwater. And they fill that canteen with whiskey. You know, they pour a little bit of the whiskey into the water on behalf of the sailors who were lost. The amazing thing is that it has such power as a symbol but very few people know about it. So we were asked to scan it. So we 3D scanned it. It's saved in perpetuity down to the millimeter and we 3D printed it and then our artists painted it. We have two exact replicas of these. One is in a museum in Japan, one is in a museum here in Honolulu. So now people are actually picking this up. They're telling the story, they understand what it is. Website data and content is pushed out around that. So you have, again, this interplay between the digital realm and the real world and the fact that you can have a real impact on what reconciliation might look like based on symbolism. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. It's important that students are prepared for the world of work. How does Mid-Pacific Institute promote workforce development beyond the traditional school system? So the first thing I'll say is we don't do everything that I believe is necessary for the education system right now. I think that we do need to get to a place where we have to get to a, a comprehensive education and workforce training that, you know, there really is. Remember that talked about the speed of the real world versus the speed of education. There's always that lag. We do have to get to a place where there are more internships and there there are more career academies. I think that the public school system has done a very good job of taking a couple of things like perhaps a, a health science academy that students may want to go into the health careers like nursing or medicine and they can find a very specific level of training in one particular school. At Mid-Pacific, we try to spread that across all the things that we do. So rather than focus on one thing, 
we believe, again, if you're going to be world ready, that means that you need to be adept at group and project-based learning. So can you be a good collaborator? Do you understand how to absorb a lot of information very quickly and then integrate those creative skills and those technological skills, especially to come up with different solutions? I think one of the crucial components of that is understanding that your network isn't just local anymore. And we know this, the pandemic showed us this, but I don't know necessarily what the global sort of memory set will look like. And I think people are going to revert back to the mean. But we teach our students how to network across borders and across, you know, if it's outside of the state or it's with uh, partner schools in Asia, for example. We want them to have an IQ, for example. We focus on that, of course. And then EQ, your emotional quotient. Ultimately, we look at the CQ, the cultural side as well. What is your cultural intelligence to understand how to listen, how to navigate, how to find the common ground between different places? And then we very specifically partner with different community groups and nonprofits, where we teach our students about project management so that they do understand what it is to lead and to find what I refer to as low stakes failure, right? If you can't get three people together to get, you know, an outcome figured out for a project, the world didn't end, but you now know what it's going to be like as soon as you graduate. And then ultimately, the biggest thing for us is systems thinking and creative planning. We have our students think about whole systems more and more and more. I'll give you an example of a, of a sixth grade project that we do. The students have to get together in their groups. They are put together by personalities as well, and they've worked together with different personalities throughout the school year. And they have to essentially develop and create a whole country. And they have to do that based on the group culture that they have. And the idea is, all right, create this country. You have to create its economic system. What would the currency look like? How would it survive in the real world? Understanding that there are you know, limited resources. So how would you partner? How would you make yourself attractive to partner with other countries and build coalitions? What is the language? They have to do the whole thing. And I love sixth graders because they're little kids in big bodies and they just create so many fun ideas. But when you test them on something that's really important, they get serious really quickly. And then they find ways to work with other groups. So ultimately, we end up kind of with this like little UN in the sixth grade sort of milieu. And it's this joyous, fun way of re-looking at the world. I want to talk about talent management and talent development, because Mid-Pacific has a reputation as Hawaii's leader in the arts. How does the school recognize and foster student talent at all grades and at all different kind of talents and abilities? Well, the first thing we do is start with our learner profile. So we have a, a variety of different profiles here at Mid-Pacific. Some schools refer to it as a portrait of a graduate. Our learner profile has nine traits, habits, and dispositions that we believe will help students really find out who they are. And then wrapping around that are the incredible electives, the program that we have, and then sort of the meta version of that around is the deeper learning aspect, how we package and deliver those things. So we expose students to a variety of different courses the inquiry method at the elementary, design thinking in the middle school, and project-based learning at the high school. 
really requires them to go beyond just memorizing and regurgitating information. And so fostering student talent means exposing students to things they wouldn't naturally gravitate toward, exposing them to the idea of feeling a little uncomfortable, like stepping outside their comfort zones, but learning how to find agency by learning from all of the little, like I had mentioned earlier, the low stakes failures. And when you do that in such a way that you also surround students with intellectual peers who are interested in things other than you, their worldview opens tremendously, actually. So our multiple pathways include, you know, the arts. We have a very robust school of the arts here, our technology program that we've already mentioned, an exploratory program in high school that is essentially project-based learning for sustainability. And when you have engineering-minded individuals and artistic, creative-minded individuals and, you know, uh, folks who are interested in business and entrepreneurship all together, it's a great mix. That's actually the DNA of the business I founded many years ago. I kind of sit between art and science, you know, and it's just this thing mm. that should be beautiful, usable, but also technically brilliant, but one can not lead the other. And, you know, I call this center called wonder. And with wonder, you can create incredible things. And there isn't enough done probably on the art side. Um, you're either kind of tech led or you're artistic led or you're academic in the middle. And this blend, I think entrepreneurships, you know, the global workforce is, employs more entrepreneurs than any other you know, we employ more than in lawyers, doctors, all the rest of them. And it's a mindset and it's having the playground within a school like yours to be able to do that. You know, you talked about failure, you talk about, you know, something with adults is that we don't really like to talk about failure because we're meant to have lived it, experienced it, we're good, right? So we don't kind of show the failure right. side. It's really important to fail in a safe environment. So how do you make sure your faculty model the same behavior you want the kids to adopt? That's a really good question. And this is something I don't think schools do well. Because of what you just said, teachers come from a traditional education system. Teachers and administrators tend to be goal-oriented. We'd like to do really well on our tests and in our assignments. And so the idea of failure is something that we learn because the school system at large, especially the 20th century school system, learns how to beat creativity out of students as they get older. So the way that we do that and sort of solve for that And this is an ongoing process. This is certainly not the end of the story. We have the learner profiles I had mentioned. So here are the habits and dispositions we believe will help you become the best possible lifelong learner. On top of that, we, in combination or collaboration with our faculty, built a teacher profile. So habits and dispositions of what we believe the most successful, fulfilled teacher will look like. And it is almost a mirror image of the student profile. So now you have teachers who are being encouraged to try something new and encouraged to work with their peers and encouraged to look off campus for different alternatives in education. And above that, we have a professional profile. So if you are a non-faculty member, but an employee in Mid-Pacific, the professional profile is a modified version of the teacher profile. How can you be the best possible employee, but more importantly, member of our community and mirror the same kind of thing, right? If we have a problem in risk and compliance versus what we want to do in a classroom, rather than just say, no, that's a rule, you can't do it. How do we find a way to look at the problem and solve that problem together? And then above the professional profile, we're developing a leader profile. And that will go from our board of trustees all the way down. 
So now you have this vertical integration of profiles that say, here's what you will look like and feel like and act like if you are a very participatory, contributing member of this community. It sounds like a great blueprint to model around the world. And I want to talk to you about whether or not we can actually franchise it. You know, is there a way of kind of bottling up what you do? Because again, part of the greater good of education is good educational models and frameworks and go, this works. Like this is this is really great. Could we wrap this up and lend this or share this great bit of teaching? And do you connect with other schools, other institutes in America or around the world about what you do? Because they might have maybe some inclination or some ambition to do it, but they just don't know where to start. And you almost have a ready toolkit full of like, this is what you should do. So yes, with an asterisk. We have a professional development program here that we refer to as Kupu Ho Academy. And in Hawaii, the Kupu Kupu Fern, K-U-P-U, Kupu. The Kupu Kupu Fern is essentially the first sign of life in the most desolate environment. So the world mostly knows that we have a volcano here that has uh, been erupting over the last few weeks. The eruption has concluded. It won't take very long for that lava to cool. And when it does, this fern will be the first thing that you see out of this completely desolate environment. Kupuho Academy takes that spirit to rise and to regenerate and to grow anew and essentially teaches teachers, public, private, and charter school teachers in the United States, predominantly in Hawaii, how to work with our deeper learning methods. And we teach now, we're up to over 400 teachers a year that we're teaching. The question that you ask is something that we've been considering very intently over the last two years. And what we would like to do is get into the leadership model that really does say that if this is a systems approach and schools are systems, then we can't ask teachers to think differently and then go back to their individual rooms without the support of peers or department chairs or certainly the administrators and school leaders in their environments. So yeah, we're looking at a definite way to expand that program because we really do feel like education is the most important industry in the world. Without education and what we do, all other industries, they just can't flourish in the way that the true potential resides uh, sort of on the outside. And we want to share. I'm absolutely inspired, Paul. I think the institute, the school that you run in Hawaii is staggering. I've, I've talked to hundreds of schools. I've visited hundreds of schools. I love your teaching philosophy, the deeper learning, the learner profiles throughout. It feels like you've ticked every box. You're always self-evaluating and going, we could do better. Actually, how do we reflect with what's going on around us in the world? And you adjust. And I think that has to be what education is about. You have to adjust. So we could all learn a lot from what you do at Mid-Pacific. So thanks ever so much for taking the time. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.